What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch our keeping? This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him mother, babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where oxen ass are feeding? Good Christian fearful sinners hear the silent word is bleeding. Nails shall pierce him through the cross, be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of
Let's pray. Lord, mystery of mysteries, that the eternal God would take on human form and come and die for our sins, Lord, so we could truly say that in Christ our sins are completely atoned for. There is no condemnation left for us. Our sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. Lord, we are a free people. And Lord, because of this, let us boldly approach you. Let us come before your throne. Let us hear from your words. Lord, let us commune with you. Let us have your fellowship. Lord, because we can draw near to you because of the blood of Christ. And Lord, with each other, Lord, let us consider how we can stir each other on to love and good deeds. Lord, as would be beholding to people who have been saved in such a marvelous and merciful way. Let our attitudes be that of Christ Jesus, Lord. Let us consider other needs before our own. Lord, let us be people who share your love with the world and with each other. And we need your help in this, Lord. It's not natural for us to do, but we ask for your enablement. And as we come before your word, we pray that you would open it to us, Lord. We long to see great mysteries. We love to see and hear more about you. For you are our King of kings and Lord of lords. You are our great Savior, whom we love and we are loved by. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning, as we look at this whole idea of the love of God coming down, I was uh, just exploring on online some various uh, sermons and, and talks about uh, this time, this this particular day of celebration. You know, love. You know, the love of God. And it was interesting. the The majority of the the messages focused on our response. You know, and, uh, and just talking about, since God loved us, we need to love everybody else. And by the way, that's an absolute picture. But until we really grasp the reality of God's love and what it means, the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another, we won't have. And so my focus this morning is on God's love for us. And in Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 11, uh, Paul was asking, uh, was, was proposing the idea of, of, of those rhetorical questions, I guess you might say, in a sense. Uh, why, if, if Israel has failed to see the Christ uh, as a nation, then are the promises and this type of thing valid? And, and he's trying to show how they are. And, and the, one of the things that God was doing through the, the nation of Israel slipping away and falling away to the point where only a remnant would be coming forth, uh, he said it opened the door for the Gentiles. And this is verse 11. So I, I, I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. In other words, Paul says, you know, Israel, as they, at some point in time, 
they're going to see the, the, the Gentile and, and, and Jewish combination of the remnant church of uh, the body of Christ, and they're going to look at it and say, oops, <laughs> in a sense, they'll realize they missed it. And then, of course, Zechariah saying, they'll uh, look on him whom they have pierced, and, and there'll be a drawing of the nation of Israel back into, into God's grace. Um, it's interesting, though, I wanted to point out, too, that uh, verse 25 of chapter 11 shows us that this is a limited time. Uh, now, we, I look at, at time and think, well, gosh, you know, we're looking at 2,000-plus years ago at the, at the, the uh, birth of, of Christ, and you know, almost, you know, at this point, 2,000 years, uh, in a sense, since the death of Christ. It's approaching that and, and saying that's, that's not a brief time of, you know, it's, you know as open windows go to, to evangelize and reach out. We normally think of, of weeks, months, years, but certainly not, you know, millennium. And uh, I was thinking, though, but again, with God, time is, is well, what does Peter say? A thousand years as a day, a day is a thousand years. It's, it's not an issue with God. And so it's just a, a season of time until the last Gentile that will be saved will be saved. And he says it basically in verse 25. Um, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And at that point, God will again will open their, the eyes of the nation of Israel. And I believe there will be a great turning to Christ at that point of the, the Jewish nation. So we realize that this, this salvation has come to the Gentile world. And like I said, the majority of, of, of the Christian world today is made up of people who are non-Jewish. Uh, yeah, but even those that are Jewish or Jewish heritage that are in the church are part of a remnant that God speaks of during this, this season of, of the nation of Israel as a whole pulling away from God. And so we realize that we see God's love through Christ poured out. Uh, his, his, his mercy, his grace poured out on us. And the first thing I want you to grasp a hold of is that it's part of his character. The love that God pours out on us is, a, is a part of his very nature. 1 John 4.8 and 1 John 4.16 very clearly state, uh, both of them, you know, both verses repeating the same phrase, God is love. You know, the, I think of the kids' song, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us gather, you know, love the Lord and all that goes with that. And then 1 John 4, 7 and 8. But the, the picture is God is love. And so you could say, basically, it's a name that God has. God is love. And his love is revealed that in this happened. In 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest or made clear to us, uh, among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So we're connecting this love now to an act. 
Uh, and it's, it's very important that we see that. We, the action reveals the love that God has. I hear people say that uh, as they look around at the condition of the world, uh, and they see sin, and, and, and even as Christians sometimes, we see how sin dominates in things, and we, we say, how can that be? Lord, how long are you going to tarry? Uh, we join uh, the psalmist and say, you know, uh, Lord, how long will you let the, the, the enemies of your, your kingdom survive and, and carry on and all of these kinds of things? And God reminds us constantly, it's in his timing. He has got it under control. And in the midst of that, through his church and through the Holy Spirit, through Christ, he's pouring out his love to all who will, will believe, to all who will have their eyes opened and believe. And so, in the midst of a fallen world reaping what it has sown, those who believe, even though we should reap what we have sown, we deserve to reap what we have sown in sin, are blessed with his mercy and his grace. He has poured out his love on us. And he did it through his son. And by the way, this picture that First John pours out, it gives us in 4.9, is a reference in, even back to um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and he shall, his name shall be Emmanuel. And in the scripture reading that was read this morning out of Matthew 1.23, that is repeated and confirmed that that was a reference to the birth of Christ. And so, how has God done this? How has he provided his son and given his son? Well, he's done it through the birth of, uh, uh, that Mary gives to Jesus. And so that tells us that God is literally, through Christ, coming into the world. Emmanuel, God is with us. As we look at this, it takes us also back to last week when we were looking in Isaiah. In Isaiah 9-6, for to us a child is born. What was the purpose of the birth of this child? Well, according to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it was to bring light into darkness. John tells us, ultimately, that this light the word that became flesh, would dwell with us. And he puts it in a particular way. He says, and in John 1.14, and we sang it this morning as well, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the, the key to all of this, as we understand it now. God's love. This is, this is the absolute picture and key to understanding God's love. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Became flesh. He became a man, human, in every way. And he dwelt among us. The word dwelt here is the word tabernacled. Kind of a peculiar word. We don't normally say, oh, you know, I tabernacle over on uh, Weber, the corner of Weber and Jordan, you know, and, you know that type of thing. So... Why would, would this particular word be used? And, and it was because the Hebrew people would, especially would understand it very quickly. 
Oh, tabernacle. What's, what's that, that reference to? Well, certainly to Exodus and the tabernacle that was instructed of God to build and, and, and the, the, the tent dwelling place that was used where God would meet the Hebrew people. And there was the outer court and, and, and then the, the, the holy uh, place and then the holy of holies where only the high priest could go once a year to make the offering for the, for the, the nation and the sins of the people. And so this word, he tabernacled in us, tells us something very, again, that's the presence of God with us. God's tent, to be you know, a little easier and simpler yet, in the middle of the nation of Israel was the tabernacle. God's tent in the middle. They set up their, their, the, the 12 tribes around where the tabernacle would be set up. So all of them would be facing it in some way. It was at the very core, at the very center, to remind them of his presence. And his presence would be obvious to them. Pillar of cloud and, and, uh, and, and then the, during the day, but the, the fire by night. And it, can you imagine seeing that? No matter how far away you would get in your campsite, you'd see the, the, the glow of the presence of God. Well, Jesus now, Emmanuel, God is with us. He's in a human tent in our very midst. Paul calls our, our bodies tents. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he speaks about our bodies being tents that actually we long to be rid of and, and, and have the, the dwelling place that God has prepared for us that is eternal in its nature. And so we, we're in these tents that are fragile, Subject to bleeding, to, to pain, to suffering. God, Christ, Emmanuel, God is with us literally in a human tent that feels pain and suffering. You know, people think about Jesus, and there's so many different uh, traditions about the childhood of Jesus that are, have no scriptural basis at all. You know, uh, and, and Jesus grew up, is what we can get out of Luke chapter 2. Jesus grew up just like any other child would grow up. As he learned to walk, do you think he fell? Is it possible that he skinned his knee? Is it possible that, that, that he you know, ever suffered pain in, in a context like that? He was in a fragile body just like we are. He, he, he had to learn and accomplish everything just like any child does. He was in a human tent in the midst of us. And then Paul, uh, John says, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father. And I was thinking now, not everybody caught that. As, as Jesus was walking through crowds, there were, the, there were those who certainly didn't see any glory in him. I was thinking, so what is... And then I, I remembered at least a few instances that John experienced. One was on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
He saw Jesus in his glory. How about after his resurrection? After Jesus' resurrection? John also saw him in a vision in, in, in Revelation, fell down at his, as a man dead at, at, the, at, the, at the vision of him as he saw him. And he saw his ascension. And so John can say, I saw this. I beheld, we, the disciples, we beheld his glory, the only Son of God. And then we have to come to this reality, okay? God, Emmanuel, with us in the fragile body of, of flesh. Uh, why does God do this? And this is what we've been studying ever since we started the book of Romans, as we started going through it. If you go back to Romans uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21, we can start there. Paul writes, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why does God need to come in? Because man has chosen to ignore God, see his nature, and give anything and everything the glory except God. We'll even worship the creation rather than the creator. And so we see that, that there's something amiss. God is coming to straighten this through Christ, to straighten this out. And what we find ourselves doing is, is that we actually are going on what is traditionally called the Roman road. I don't know how familiar you are with this. Uh, many of you probably have got it memorized. Others of you maybe are hearing it for the first time. But the Roman road basically is, is a number of scriptures. Some use just a few. Some use a, a several more. But an outline of scriptures that take us through and show us why God came in the flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so I like to use this one just to show that God created everything and we refuse to recognize it, okay? And, and so the, the second stop is, is in chapter 3 on the Roman road. And this is verse 23. And what we realize is that this ignoring God is what? Missing the mark is sin. And this is what Paul writes. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone who is innocent before the throne of God. Okay, so keep that in mind as we, as we go to this next verse, because we're actually going to go back in Romans chapter 3 to verse 10, just a confirmation of this. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Confirmation even from the Old Testament, there is no one who can stand before the God of all creation because we don't have his holiness, his righteousness in us. He tells us we must be holy as he is holy, and yet we're clearly pointed out here, we have all sinned. 
And so we can't approach his throne. So what's the consequences? What have we got left to look forward to? Well, the next stop on the Roman road is, is in chapter 6, verse 23. And just the first part of verse 23 at this point, you, know, you might say 23a. <laughs> For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And we look at that, and we realize this word death is, is far bigger than just the idea of a physical death. When we start to study it and you start to look at it and, and maybe look it up in, a, in a, a Bible dictionary, you'll find out it means spiritual death as well. It's the key to it is that we are separated from God. There's a gulf or a, a huge gap between us. I, uh, the, the, I think the, the Campus Crusade used to use the picture of, of, of a huge canyon like the Grand Canyon between you, and there's no way across it. How are you going to, even, even evil Knievel couldn't make it, you know, uh, and, and you, you're at the furthest part, and your back is against the, the, the canyon, uh, you know, the, 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 the drop, and there's a prairie fire coming at you. You're in serious trouble. That's the idea of this, uh, this, this picture of death is coming at you, and there's no avoiding it. And the, and the reality here is because we have all sinned, there's none righteous, none of us, we deserve this penalty. We've earned it. It's ours. We did it. Takes us to our next stop in the Roman road, going backwards even more, chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while our back is being pushed against the canyon drop and death is approaching us and we can't see any out, while we're in that condition, in our sins and judgment, deserving judgment, it says Christ died for us. Uh, it takes us back to chapter 6, verse 23, the part that I didn't finish reading. The whole verse, for the wages of sin is death, but then it says, but in absolute contrast to this, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve is death, but the free gift of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're getting that full picture now. What was the purpose of Emmanuel, God is with us, coming into this fragile flesh that knows pain and suffering and, and, and hurt so that he could be in our presence in such a way that he would bring us eternal life. How was he to do that? Well, he did it through the cross. And so we're given an, a, a picture here of, out of Romans chapter 10 that gives us our hope. Paul writes, if you 
confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What has happened? Jesus Christ has gone to the cross, paid the price, finished it all. And as a result, as we confess him, his holiness covers our sin. And our sin is, is paid for completely. It's not ignored. It's not excused. It's paid for. The penalty is paid in full through Christ. And I thought of, a, as I was going through this, you know, love found a way. <laughs> and that's the song. You know, and it's, uh, I'm not sure how old the song is. The, the, the first person that I heard a recording of it was, was uh, Larnell Harris, uh, a gospel singer. But I have uh, the words, you know, God is love and his love found a way to, to bring his, our salvation and, and, and the, the, the most awesome part of this is that all of this before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God had it in place to do. So as Jesus approached all of this, he knew exactly. As he emptied himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, he knew what was ahead. He knew it all, all, all along as his... As, a, as his adult ministry, he, you know, people say, at what point did he know? I can't answer that question other than, than the reality of knowing that his ministry, he, there was never a doubt. He mentioned it over and over and over again. And finally it says, then he set his face towards Jerusalem and his last visit there. But in this song, uh, it's, the basic picture is that Jesus bridged the gap. Uh, and, 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 and coming back to Campus Crusade, you know, the picture then is as your back is against the canyon, all of a sudden you see this huge uh, bridge across the canyon, and it's in the shape of a cross. And, and you realize if I, if I cross that bridge, the fire now stops at the canyon wall, but it can't get me because I crossed the bridge of Christ. If I confess... Christ, if I believe in my heart that he is the Son of God. Well, the words of this song, uh, Love Found a Way, go, an angel stood with flaming sword at Eden's darkened gate. The frightened family faced a world now filled with Satan's hate. These fallen children God so loved were lost in fear alone. Now love would spare no cost to bring them home. And then the chorus goes, Love found a way, love found a way, and our hearts can hold, and our hearts can hold the price love chose to pay. All hope was gone till Easter's dawn. We are free because love found a way. One nation rose to bring one man a virgin would conceive, a man who died then rose with life for all who will believe. For every child of Adam's race, who longs to leave despair, the road that leads us home to love is there. 
Though trials and heartaches surround us and tear at our si- uh, uh, and tear at our souls every day, by faith our hearts will be lifted to the path where love found a way. I, I love it as a poetry, even as a song. It, it's it's fun, to, it, great to listen to, and again that whole picture, man's fall from the garden to to where he. God raises up a nation, the Hebrew nation, to bring forth his solution. In the Son of God, a child is born. Emmanuel, God is with us. If you read that scripture in in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for us a child is born. That's the manger scene. The very next phrase, and, I, and, I, and I've rarely seen this talk about this way. For us, a son is not born, given. Think about what that really means. It takes us to the cross. A child is born to do what? to raise up and become the man who is given the God in the flesh, the Son of God, Emmanuel, is given. And that word Emmanuel, God is with us, God, man, he's in the flesh, he dwelt among us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Philippians, what you read this morning for that song, very clearly, he emptied himself to become a man, God in the flesh. When he was born, you know, you think about it was the lowly shepherds that that get the, the first glimpse of him. The wise men travel. But the people that really should have been coming to him and worshiping and praising and, 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 and rejoicing in his birth weren't there. Why? Because he emptied himself. He didn't come in such a way that when they, they looked on him, they would just immediately fall and, and confess. He, that's what he deserves. And ultimately, that's what will happen. But first, he had to come as the suffering servant the son that is given. In Colossians, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgotten us all our trespasses. Having forgiven us, I mean, all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, he was able to set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the love of God poured out for us. 
our response to that is to recognize that as God has poured his life out for us and he's now poured it into us, he's opened our eyes and, and as we've confessed, then and, and, and we show that in our, you know, we believe the fruit of the Spirit becomes the active part in our lives. Galatians 5 is a familiar set of verses to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It goes on to talk about gentleness and kindness and long-suffering and patience and all the pictures that love uh, come out in. I've always felt that the, the scripture there is not, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then I see eight manifestations afterwards of what it is to love. Colossians, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the, it's called the love chapter, tells us how the love of God works in us. It doesn't keep a list of wrongs. I, that's one of the phrases that always sticks in my mind. And so this is our response to it, is to seek God and say thank you for his love and ask his love to overflow in us in such a way that we extend it to other people. But as we come to communion this morning, I just wanted to focus on that one phrase, and he nailed it to the cross. <coughs> where the words, it is finished, were spoken. And as a result, this morning we come together around the communion table in thanksgiving and, and, and in worship and with grateful hearts of, of the forgiveness that's been given us and, and always asking the, the Lord uh, the, the same thing that, that, that David says, you know, Examine me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And David wasn't saying that because he was wanted to boast about how cool he was. He was saying that so that he would be he would know how what sin that he had in order to be able to confess it and and be right before the throne of God. Knowing that in in, in doing so, God would receive him. David's words in Psalm fifty one: God, you don't want the sacrifice and all those things, not. Initially, first you want my heart broken over sin. And not other people's sin, our own sin. That's what separates us from God. That's what Jesus nailed to the cross. That's what brings us to this point this morning. I'd ask the ushers to come and to uh, pass the communion out until we've all been served, and we'll share it together. You bring peace, but not as the world gives. You bring joy in the midst of our grief. You're the light that shines in our darkness. You're the hope when we struggle to see. 
bring peace, but not as the world gives. You bring joy in the midst of our grief. You're the light who shines in our darkness. You're the hope when we struggle to see. Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. of God comes through the blood of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus asked that we would remember it in a very specific way, taking the bread of the supper that he was sharing with the disciples. He gave thanks and then he broke it and he passed it to the disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. And as he did so, he told them, he says, I want you to do this as often as you do 
and sharing it in remembrance of me. Same meal, he took the cup of wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant. And he asked as often as we would drink this until he comes again, that we would do so in remembrance of him. Father, this morning we thank you that before the foundation of the world, you had the plan in place, the plan of our salvation. And it is an amazing thing to try to comprehend all of, of how it comes together, all the things that had to be so in order, but we see your sovereignty all the way through it to that point where Jesus took it to the cross. I think again of, of Paul's words in, in Colossians. Nailed to the cross. Our sin was nailed to the cross. Cause us to, to rest in the confidence of Jesus' words. It is finished. It is done. There's nothing more to be accomplished. And as we confess with our mouths and believe from our hearts in Christ, Son of God, God is with us, Emmanuel. We ask, Lord, that you would give us that confidence to rest in the grace that you have given us. That indeed, it is finished. And as a result, we can stand before your throne boldly to claim the mercy and the grace that you've given us. I think, Lord, of, of that confidence that, you, that we can rest in because of that. Thank you. There is no condemnation for those who are in you, Lord. Again, thank you. Joint heirs with you for eternity. You share the kingdom of God with us, the church, the body of Christ. Thank you. As we leave today, we ask, Lord, that you, would, through your Holy Spirit, cause the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, to move through us in such a way that the gentleness and kindness and peace and long-suffering, that, that we would be offering that to everyone around us. that we might be a testimony to your love working in us and the love that you poured out in us. In Jesus' name, amen.